Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Root of the Matter podcast with your host, me, Dr. Rachel Carver. On this podcast, we talk a lot about how the oral system, oral cavity, has direct impact on the rest of the body. I'm very excited today to have Dr. Ann Hill with us today, who's going to be talking a lot about neural therapy, which is something probably not a lot of you have ever heard of, but it is one of the most impactful treatments that I've ever learned in my therapy. I use it a lot for TMD, TMD issues. So by way of introduction, Dr. Ann Hill, she's joining us from the West Coast. She is a naturopathic physician. She uses functional medicine to get at the root cause. So working with a lot of people who have these chronic kind of mystery illnesses, some of the big ones that she's working with, which a lot of people struggle with, are mast cell activation, long COVID, and dysautonomia. So it's kind of a fancy term for when the nervous system is really out of balance, which is often really undiagnosed. But if your nervous system isn't functioning properly, if you don't have the proper balance, it doesn't matter how many supplements you take and all the kind of biohacking, you really need that nervous system to work well. Um, Dr. Hill also, she teaches a lot of physicians and dentists how to use neural therapy and also does a lot. She really understands how dental health can impact the rest of the body. So she's very supportive with her patients to make sure their oral care, which I greatly appreciate. And all of us dentists, we greatly appreciate that you are recognizing that connection and really help making your patients well, because there's so much oral disease that goes undiagnosed that can, one, really impact the nervous system, right? And cause a lot of systemic inflammation. So welcome. And thank you for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of your journey, how you got on this and how neural therapy, I mean, is that something you learned in school or something you came across later? Well, let's see, way back to the beginning. <laughs> I, I took an herb class when I was in my mid 20s. In when I was living in New York City, I had just finished getting a master's degree. And I was so tired of history. That was what I got my master's degree in. I wanted to do something radically different. So I took an herbal class, which was taught by a woman named Arcus Flynn. And she was a radical ex-nurse and very political. And it totally, like, I just fell in love. And so ever since probably the age of 23, 24, I've been doing uh, some kind of holistic medicine, uh, learning with a lot of really amazing herbalists. And then I finally decided I needed a little bit more of a medical background. And I had no idea what a naturopathic doctor was. I'd never heard of one. But someone mentioned it to me and I was like, oh my God, that's what I need to do. It's a four-year medical school and we learn how to do primary care medicine as well as incorporating herbs and doing nutrition and all that stuff. So we did not have neural therapy in school, but one of the things that we talk about when we graduate from naturopathic school is you become a, what is it, a jack of all trades, but master of none. So probably like regular medical school, like the people decide, oh, I want to be an gynecologist or an ENT or whatever. So when I got out, I really wanted to work with people and work with the nervous system. And um, I do a form of body work uh, called craniosacral therapy and osteopathic manipulation. So I was already really interested in the, the fascial structures in the body and how the nervous system kind of correlates with how our body is functioning and working. So that's kind of what I focused on for a while. And then I honestly, I think it was kismet. Like there was just some random email that came into my inbox. I had always wanted to learn prolotherapy, but I was having kids at the time and I just didn't have time to like leave for a couple of days to take a 
seminar and I wanted to learn prolotherapy because I always remember this this great case at, that I had it was a chef who came into one of the naturopathic clinics here in Portland and I was overseeing the case and he said, do you guys do prolotherapy? And he said, I got this prolotherapy treatment seven years ago and I've been, I was out of pain for seven years and now my pain starting to come back. And because he was a chef, he had chronic tendinitis in both arms. And so of course he'd be lifting two huge pans of food at a time and throwing food up and down. And so that's how he would get tendinitis. And I was like, no, but I got I to gotta learn that because I need to know how to get people out of pain for seven years. That's amazing. So, so I didn't learn that. But then this random email came in that said, there's this neural therapy class. And I was like, well, I don't know what that is. So I looked at it and it sounded kind of right up my alley because the, the, the man who was teaching it was, had talked quite a bit about not only helping the body to facilitate like the nervous system's release of shock and trauma from physical encounters in the world, but also mental emotional encounters. And I was like, oh, that's, that's totally cool. So I decided to do the neural therapy class and kind of fell in love. And now I do that probably with 90% of my patients. I know there's always the kids who I don't want to torture. And there's always, of course, the patients that it's more traumatic to get a, <laughs> to get an injection than to not. So I usually leave them alone. So tell us a little bit, what is neural therapy? Okay. So what is neural therapy is, okay, so it's an injection therapy and it's basically has been around since 1905. 1905 is when the very first local anesthetic, which is procaine, was invented by a chemist in, in uh, Germany. And they realized they needed to, before that, they were using cocaine. But of course, now we all know the term like supply chain problems. <laughs> they had to put the stuff, everything on ships and like ship it all over. So they knew they, 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 it was problematic. And they knew that they needed to try to figure out how to make something to help numb people for surgeries. So they created procaine and, and really literally right after they created procaine, they um, started using it for surgeries. And they started noticing very interesting effects of it that were healing effects that went beyond what the person was just coming into surgery for. And I think one of the, the well, the first published paper was in 1945, although there was many doctors that started using it, at least the, the first published paper, I think, in the English language was in 1945. But there's many doctors that were using it and using it to help get people out of pain, using it to just help shift different things for people and a couple, well, Dr. Hunike, I don't know if I'm, I never know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. <laughs> he's probably the most famous one. And he basically, once he started using procaine, he spent his career trying to figure out how does this stuff work? What is it doing? So how, how we use it today is, I, I guess I use it for several things. I think about it for the main, the main way that it's working is it's, it's a, it's a sympatholytic. Right. And so what that means, of course, to the audience that doesn't know, is that it is going to help the shift the nerves in that area where you're injecting it from the sympathetic nervous state to a parasympathetic state. And so that can do all sorts of things. And one of the things that I think about for that is that it actually will help with detoxification and help move infections and move lymph. And the reason why is because it's actually helping with that chronic congestion and inflammation that holds all of that stuff into the body. So I use it a lot for that. 
And it also, because it's helping the nerves work better, it's really like a premier technique that we use for scar tissue, which you can see on the outside of the body. And then it adhesions, which you can see on the inside, or you can't see because we don't have extra vision that's on the inside of the body. That's very difficult to diagnose. Yet we have lots and lots of patients every day that come in and say, I've never been better since I had my gallbladder removed or yeah, I had that surgery and, and now everything's really tight in my shoulder. So we know what that means is there's some something kind of stuck together that happened after the surgery. And, and they think probably at least 95% of surgeries create adhesions. I mean, that's literally almost 100%. So we know trauma like that is going to create an adhesion or scar tissue somewhere in the body that is then in turn going to potentially trap the body from being able to function properly and trap anything in the body, like any chronic inflammation or infections that have been introduced from surgery or infections that were there before could then get worse. So yeah. So we've talked a little bit on the podcast before about fascia. Our last guest, one of our last guests, Kelly Kennedy, talked a lot about lymph, right? So we yeah. know. So this is a way we talked about different manual techniques and our CFT was one of the first uh, podcast episodes we did. But so pro, it's, it's very minor for the benefit. I mean, the benefits way, way, way uh, outweigh the, the small, tiny little, little prick you get here. And I know I, when I first learned it, when I was learned it, when I was doing ozone therapy. So we learned the therapy called prolozone, right? So that what Dr. Ann was talking about with prolotherapy is using procaine to help with these pains. And when prolozone, we use procaine and then we add ozone to further kill any infection or anything that it also increases circulation. So it's just kind of an added added benefit there. And there's really no major side effects with this, correct? I mean, the we always have to screen for any allergies, right? I mean, anybody can be allergic to anything. <laughs> I had one patient that ended up in the hospital at one point because they didn't know what else to diagnose her with, but allergy to water. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's an interesting, interesting allergy to have for that moment. So yeah, I typically will, I'll, I'll basically procaine and novocaine, which is what dentists use, are the same substance. However, with novocaine, they're putting their... You guys are getting it with, I think, epinephrine in it, or maybe you guys add it afterwards. But usually epinephrine's added. That's not what we add because we're not trying to stimulate the synthetic nervous system. And then and then I think that there's some preservatives in Novocaine that we do not want in the Procaine because it's we're using it for a whole different thing. So, yeah. So what was the question again? Yeah, oh, the side effects. Yeah. The side effects. <laughs> So I always screen people for that. And it's usually pretty easy to screen for because most of us have had Novocaine who are in the U.S. anyway and have had dental <laughs> dental care. And so there's that. Um, and then sometimes I do have patients that are, uh, I, I'm, I'm more careful with patients who, if they take substances that relax them, that it gives them more anxiety. So that is actually can be really common with PTSD. So I usually ask a lot of questions about that if I know I'm dealing with people with a lot of PTSD, or I will give them a very, very, very tiny treatment. So it's not overwhelming so that they can actually see how it makes them feel in their body because they don't want to create more anxiety. But that I feel like is more rare and and neural therapy is actually used all the time for PTSD. So it is really an indicator for it. It's just sometimes there's that little caveat for some patients that they get worse. 
And then, and then after that, the other side effects can be actually just from the injections themselves. I mean, anytime you inject anything into the body, there's always the possibility of introducing an infection if you're not using sterile techniques. But of course, we've all been trained to use sterile techniques in this country. So we use that in our practices. And then other things, I think what I've seen the most is a vasovagal response. And I've actually gotten a vasovagal response myself from getting an injection in the doctor's office and like walking out and like suddenly like being on the floor and waking up and wondering what happened. <laughs> and we don't really know what causes a vasovagal response, right? So it's just something where you, it's like you're probably because people are nervous about the injection and then they can get a little, feel a little faint, but that's pretty easy. We just make sure that we're elevating people's feet and helping them. Sometimes we give oxygen to people just to help bring them back into their bodies a little bit. So that has probably happened to me twice in, I'd say, well, almost 10 years of doing it. So I, I wouldn't say it's super common. Yeah, I've been doing this for eight years and I've never... And the worst outcome is that they don't get relief. <laughs> but that's, that's I don't know, maybe... Five ten percent of the time. Otherwise, it's, yeah. it's profound. So I generally use it for people who are having TMJ issues, right? And they've they've had the splint, they've had this, and maybe they've had ortho, right? And we we know a lot. Of, we talked about on the show too how oh, traditional orthodontics we move the teeth, but we ignore ninety percent of the other problems of the reason why the teeth became crooked in the first place. So when we artificially try to move the teeth where the muscles and the joints aren't comfortable. And we tend to get, can get the joint and the muscle issues. And so the way I commonly use it is you give a small injection. We make, the way I learned, you make a small little quaddle. So you're not even injecting far in the technique that I do for, for TMJ issues is a small little bubble, basically. It looks like kind of almost like a tiny little hive, right? And that's, and so that numbs the area a little bit. And I tend to go right over into the joint space. And then most of the time I'll go in with ozone after a few minutes. Um, And it's uh, just profound. Within 48 hours, patient usually feels complete relief. And it tends to last quite a while. So that's a technique I use. How do you treat your patients who may have TMJ or other oral? What else do you treat that's in head and neck? Oh, yeah, that's that's a good question. I'm I'm kind of going rogue with <laughs> with my dental injections and just so we don't one of the things I do a lot is I refer a lot of patients to there's we have a couple of different dentists in Portland that my patients really like a lot who are trying to get to the root cause of things and who they have CT cone beam scans. So a lot of times I'm suspicious of long-term infections underneath the teeth that you can't see. Oftentimes they're from root canals that were never cleaned out. We don't, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that we properly clean root canals out in this country. I think we just pull the nerve out and then shove the gutta percha in there and call it good. But oftentimes the root canals or the the teeth are inflamed because there's there's an infection that is then never really totally dealt with. So then it just becomes an infection that's locked in the jaw and starts to fester. So I send a lot of people for that. And the dentist that I I use a lot, he does procaine as well, and he'll do procaine and ozone injections. And then what I have people do is if I send them for the to get evaluated and they have cavitations and then they get the surgery with the dentist, I'm kind of like, I want to make sure that that does not come back. Because early on in my career, when I started sending people to dentists, 
they would go see amazing dentists, really good dentists who knew how to do the surgeries. But oftentimes the infections would come back. And that's actually considered one of the things that can happen. So I saw just too many patients that that was happening with. And I'm like, I don't think that we can, we can't really, our eyes cannot microscopically see that if the infection's there, we can scrape away the bone that's like, has that we can see is infected. But so what I've been having patients do is come in once a month for a year and getting ozone and procaine injection to the tooth through the teeth that they've had, that they've had some had cavitation surgery on. I have no idea. That's not based on any studies. And I tell them that I'm like, I don't know. But what I do know is that you've just had this, this surgery. And I really want to do everything that we can to try and prevent any infection from coming back. So I always like to, so that's my, that's what I, what I've been doing. <laughs> well, I um, think that's great because I also think I've started to think a little bit of more interesting about cavitations. I was at a presentation from Cellcor, their eco conference in May. And one of the doctors presented this case of this woman with cavitation went on for seven years before they realized what it was. She started having all sorts of systemic issues and made me think that cavitations Lots of people get teeth extracted all the time, but not everybody gets cavitations, right? So what, what, why would somebody get it? And again, I think it's their, their predisposition. Did they already have a body full of toxins, right? And then you take out a tooth and now all these microbes are like, oh, hey, look at that spot over there where the immune system can't see us, right? And they can go travel to that area that has not healed in yet. And they can be happy and lovely. It's nice and warm in there, but <clears throat> they're not getting, the immune system can't get to them, right? Because there's no more blood supply to those areas. So, yeah. <clears throat> because, I mean, I've seen plenty of cases where a tooth was extracted and a piece was left behind and they don't get a cavitation, right? So, yeah. again, I think it's that body <clears throat> that already has a lot of these toxins or microbes that makes you more susceptible to cavitation. So, when you get that cavitation cleaned out, what if those toxins are still in the body? Right. And so I think your technique is amazing. Right. So once a month, they're coming back because ozone, we know, can kill all of those kind of infections. It creates circulation. So the immune system can get there to flush out anything that might be left behind. So I think that's an amazing strategy. Right. Because just because you clean the cavitation, if they're still toxic, it's probably going to fill up again. Right. And so that may be why you can get reinfected. So good job. That's that's a great, thanks. <laughs> Put that one all by myself. <laughs> Intuition. If one works, more must be better. Sometimes that actually is an adage that works. But I'm glad you brought up like the body's toxins because the other thing that early on, so I've been treating also mold illness for a long, I do a lot of environmental stuff in my practice. And I'd say I, I this just happened too many times. Like it was like, okay, the universe is trying to tell me something here. So there was many people early on that we were starting to treat them for mold. We were doing the binders, getting the stuff out of their body and I, and, and starting to treat them internally to knowing that most people who've been in a moldy situation have either candida or some other kind of fungal overgrowth in the mucosal membranes, of the sinuses and the gut. And I, I would say there was at least three patients within six months that, that we, I was doing this with that called me up saying, help my, I have a tooth and it's rotting and falling out of my mouth. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, this is interesting. And they were all upper teeth. And, and what I realized is, wow. And then I really started looking at a lot of the, the, the x-rays and then the CT scans and talking to the dentist. And 
just seeing that that sinus floor and how close it is to the roots of the teeth, I was like, wow, this is amazing. So I don't know whether it was, was it the mold and the fungus and the sinuses that was then translating down and creating infection in the roots of the teeth? Or was it stuff in the roots of the teeth that was, you know what I mean? That was like making everything worse. So I don't know what, what's, what happens first, but I know that that's an area. And you asked me about what are some of the other head injections I do? I do a ton of sinuses. I see a lot of patients with chronic mold, chronic sinus infections. So I also like to do, we have a sinus treatment where we go kind of around on the outside and we put in the procaine and we put in the ozone. And that is super helpful for a lot of my patients. Yeah, it's amazing. Once I started using that CBCT, the stuff that we would see in the sinuses and and you ask patients, oh, do you feel that? No, I feel nothing. Their whole sinus could be completely full of fluid and they're like, I don't feel anything. Or we'll see things that look almost like like a polyp, like a mushroom kind of thing. And unfortunately, our ENTs around here, the couple of cases I've sent to them, they're like, it's fine. I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean it's fine? Like, there's not supposed to be, it's supposed to be air in your sinuses. Oh. That's that's interesting. I'll have to come learn that technique from you because I, I give a lot of oxygen sprays and Kelly Kennedy, she's going to be teaching me a little naso. There's a performance you can do with the nasos. I need to kind of learn that because it is a problem and, and mold is insidious, right? I mean, that's one of those that's hard to get rid of. So many of us are suffering from it. And the problem is mold's obviously been around since before humans existed. But I think the problem today is because of this toxic world we live in, the molds are becoming more toxic, right? Because they react to the same kind of toxins that we do. So they're now they're, they're, they're angry, right? So their toxins that they're giving off are more dangerous. And mold, I mean, again, in your sinus, that is just one small little membrane away from our brain. And I oh, think totally. most of us really want to protect the brain. So sinus treatment is really important. Well, that's, that's one of the main things that all my mold patients have. They all have brain fog and memory issues. And yeah, so the other thing that has changed that a lot of us talk about in the, the mold nerd world, I like to call it, <laughs> those of us who pay attention to all that, is building practices have changed too. And so drywall took over in the 70s from lath and plaster. And drywall is an amazing substrate for growing mold. And then also we're trying to build these buildings that are, that really can't breathe. So we kind of went one way for a while with these buildings that like they did this with our house. They had to put a fan, like a constantly running fan in the bathroom. And I'm like, that seems silly. Like why, (laughs) why, why put so much insulation and encapsulate it so much that, that the moisture just from our breath can't even get out. So now they're starting to realize the error of those ways. So that's coming back too. And they're starting to not make them quite like that anymore. But yeah, so there's, there's that, those factors as well. What about swollen tonsils? Do you want to do any treatment with tonsils? Oh yeah. Yeah. And um, actually I just, that one, I do you do that one too? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that one I would say is the least, is the quickest, the least painful injection. And the one that people really have to ruminate over for a, a long time. <laughs> Like, they're like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, okay, I'm not really injecting directly in the tonsils. Yeah, I actually, I just had one patient that I presented it to her a long time ago. She has chronic gastritis, chronic pancreatitis, chronic and, and really horrible nausea that we're, we're suppressing we're, or we're, we're helping with glutathione IVs, but she has to really come in like once every five to six weeks to get that done. So anyway, so I was like, 
then she had strep throat. She had her, her whole family had horrible strep throat. She's like me, my mom, my sisters. We all had to get her tonsils out at like in our early twenties. And they, she said they were totally diseased. I'm like, well, that infection is still trapped in the scar tissue. So anyway, so I, I think I presented it to her about six months ago and, <clears throat> and we've tried everything else. And, and I think she's finally at the breaking point. She's like, okay, I might let you inject my tonsils. <laughs> So yeah, so I love to do the tonsils. I mean, I feel like that's especially because I I focus so much on the gut and and so, if I so if you explain focus on that, yeah, explain that to us because what I found in the last few years, especially in my kids, is the swollen tonsils. I mean, probably more than half come in with really swollen tonsils, and they all tell me, oh, the pediatrician says it's fine. <sighs> I'm like, uh-huh. that is immune tissue. Like, it's not supposed to be swollen. And yeah. this is the thing that drives me nuts. Things are common doesn't make them normal, right? I mean, there's so many things that are common today doesn't make them normal. And so explain. And so when I see the patient, I'm like, this is telling me you have major gut inflammation. So explain to us how are the tonsils related to the gut and why that's a sign that we need to focus on some gut therapies. Well, well, if you think, I mean, it's all one big long tube. And so, and that's what, that's what I was realizing as, oh, we in medicine, which of course you totally understand this as a dentist, you guys are like totally the outliers. Oh, the mouth is no part of the human body whatsoever. Like we're not even going to, that's not a part of your insurance plan. That's just extra care. Nobody really needs that. No, but we, this is what we've done. And in, in some ways in medicine, we needed to, we needed to create specialties. We needed to really focus on things, but now we need to come back. And I think that's was, is the problem is, and even in my profession, all the functional medicine people, all the naturopaths that are just focusing on the gut, they're only thinking about stomach, esophagus, stomach, small intestine, large intestine. That's it. Good to go. That's, but that's just simply not the case. I have a really an interesting case kind of more recently. I'm waiting to see. I think it's been almost nine months out, but a guy with chronic gastritis and, and he, we kind of, we did everything. We did all the, all the supplements, all the nutrients. We looked for infections, treated the infections. He went in and he said, Oh, he got his endoscopy and he said, Oh, the doctor said, I still have it. I'm not as symptomatic, but I still have it. And I said, we really, we, I think we really need, cause he had some significant mouth, like dental history. And I was like, I think you really need to get that CT scan done. He went, he got the CT scan, went to an amazing dentist in uh, New York city and loved working with her. And she, he had, I think a couple of cavitations. And so she did the cavitation surgery. And after that, completely shifted like that. And so his gut is totally better now. So we'll have to see if that holds. But I was like, yeah, I knew it. Like this is, we have to do this because all of this gravity goes down. (laughs) So all of the stuff that's up here is going to go down and, and affect the rest of the gut. So I talk about that a lot, especially with with the with mold patients, you cannot you can never just treat the mold you and get it out of the body. You can't just give glutathione a binder and call it good. You have to do the sinuses, and if you're treating the sinuses, you have to also give an oral antifungal because whatever you're washing from the sinuses down goes all the way down into the gut, and then it could make the gut worse. And the gut's probably already off anyway in most of these patients with mold. So same thing with uh, with having any kind of chronic infections. It it all like the it's it's such a tight, tiny little space in here. You got your sinuses. You have the eustachian tubes. 
and the and the esophagus and you're all, it's all right in there. So it's not like there's any border walls to like separate one area from another. It's all there. So it's all going to be affected and it's going to affect the whole gastrointestinal system. I like that you mentioned that about oral taking oral something for fungus because I think where a lot of people go down that rabbit hole where they just are given constant antibiotics for sinus issues when a lot of times it's actually fungal, right? Oh, yeah. Then, yeah. I think in the studies, it was even like, they even had a percentage. I For some reason, I'm remembering like 70% fungus, 30% bacterial. So it's like, okay, that's, that's a lot of fungal stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, I, I scarily enough, there is there's there is a whole thing coming out now about the newer kind of funguses that are coming up. I think it started in India just right after COVID, and now finally in this country, we're seeing these really horrible funguses that are actually deadly. And there's a new book about it if you want to like totally get into the fungal nerd world that came out, written by this female that sounded great. I was listening to an interview with her on NPR. But anyway, just a just an aside. And again, why I've always loved ozone treatments, because it can tackle the, the bacteria, the fungus, viruses, I think parasites. We all, it's great. Yeah. Well, that's actually thinking about all this this stuff that's coming up and all the, the bugs that we know are becoming resistant to antibiotics. I'm like, I think we all really need to have ozone machines in our houses. I mean, I'm grateful that I have one in my office. And like, if I have something going on, I can drag my kids down there, or my husband down there, and but yeah, this is the, the ozone is the one thing we, we don't know of any resistance to uh, that. It's just has a totally different mechanism that it's working for these bugs. So and, yeah. and it's so safe, right? There really oh, are. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing therapy and it's kind of sad that it's not well known. Yeah, I was using mine so much and my office is like half an hour away from my home. So I, I, I bought one to have at home. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, oh, such a pain. And you know, anytime my kids get sick, my I've traumatized my, my daughter, my younger one, especially, and I've given her lots of treatments. She can't stand the smell. I think it triggers some PTSD in her, but it works. It's, it's amazingly effective. So, oh, actually, you know what? I should mention this too, that I'm doing with my kids. My kids have my husband's teeth, which are, they have really, really deep grooves. Mm-hmm. And I, this is something I don't have any published studies on, but both of them at several points have had the beginnings of cavities or and the dentists are like oh why don't you bring them back in we're gonna have to do a filling and I'm like and I brought them in and I put ozone I just have them hold their breath I just pop ozone on the back molars where they have those deep grooves have them blow out so they're not going to breathe the ozone in and yes I'm probably giving them PTSD too because they're like oh mom we have to (laughs) Uh, but when uh, I brought them back to the dentist it's not there anymore it, it yep. kills off that bacteria, which is amazing. A, I had a first time I took um, x-rays when my older daughter had all of her permanent teeth. One of the teeth looked like it had a cavity. And when you can see them in the x-ray, it's actually quite significant. And I was surprised she never had any issues in her baby teeth. And when you looked clinically, you I, you couldn't see anything. So I was, and, and I hemmed and hawed because I'm like, oh, I don't want to leave it, but I don't really want to open it either. So I did. I brought her home and I did a regimen of ozone and every day I just, I put it right on that tooth. I gave her injections also above the tooth and I waited, I don't know, maybe six months. I took another x-ray. The x-ray still looked the same. So at the time I was like, do I leave it? Do I not? Oh, I, I don't I, And I just got my laser. So I'm like, well, I'll just use a laser. I won't have to number up and maybe it'll be small. And 
when I opened it up, I was shocked. There was, again, when you looked on the x-ray, it looked like it was going to be huge and significant. And there was barely anything there. And uh-huh. uh, so even though on the x-ray it still looked like it was there, the, the ozone had completely killed it and it was starting to totally heal on itself. So then I was like, oh, I should have just kept going. But it's a learning, <laughs> it's a learning lesson for me. And, and yeah. she got, she was like, that wasn't that bad, but I don't ever want to do that again. I'm like, great. It was a good lesson for her. But yeah, it's, it's amazing for that. And again, a lot of these home ozone machines aren't crazy expensive. You can get yeah. them for about a thousand dollars, which it's not cheap, but when you think about all the, all the things you can Everything do, with you do for, for your life. I mean, and the, the bang that you get for your buck is, is enormous because there's so many great and things you can do at home are things like rectal insufflation, vaginal insufflation, limb bagging. So one, one time my daughter had this nasty infection on her knee. She got a small scrape and then she picked at it and it became this big abscess and I didn't want to take her to the ER because I knew they were just going to antibiotics and steroids. And I'm like, I don't, nope, I don't want to do that. Yeah, so yeah. I put her, used those in olive oil, used essential oils and just put her in the bag. And she would sit for like 10 minutes and you let the ozone just, and it took probably three weeks to completely heal. Whereas antibiotics and steroids, it would have been better in a couple of days. But with those kind of methods, it just pushes the infection deeper into the tissue, into the fascia, exactly. right? Which mm-hmm. I don't want, I didn't want to do. So yes, it took longer to heal, but it's healed. And I, yeah. and I got rid of that infection instead of just suppressing it deeper in the system for it to manifest later down the line as some other issue. So, so yeah. that, that's the one caveat, like these natural things do take longer, but it's much better in the long run. So. Well, not always, though. I had I have had one of my first experiences after I took I I don't know if you you probably studied with Schellenberger because he does yep. the prolozone. Longevity gave us the resonated olive oil scent. Best. And I brought it home, and it was really interesting because my son came. He I came home, and my husband from that conference with the the oil. And my husband's like, what's this? And my son had gotten molluscum contagiosum, which is a viral, like, it's a dermatological illness. You get these like weird little pock things on your skin. They don't know what causes it. They don't know how to get rid of it. It's supposed to last upward of, I think, three months or more. I'm like, oh, okay, well, why don't I try this ozonated olive oil? And he smelled terrible and it ruined his pajamas. (laughs) Could never get that ozone smell out. But it was gone. Like, I was like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I, that is the most wonderful stuff. And I'm so sad that longevity has closed their doors now because Puro 3 makes one very similar, but it's not nearly as potent for whatever reason. But I, I travel with that stuff. Like I, that is like, like, that is gold. It's amazing to heal. Yeah. Anywhere you would think, I tell my patients where you might want to use Neosporin, no, use the ozonated olive oil because you won't get the antibiotic resistance. It covers the fungus, the bacteria, the virus, the parasite without any of the, the side effects. So that is amazing, amazing stuff. I think Pure O3, you can get on Amazon and it's it's something that everybody should have in their first aid kit. Anywhere you get a cut or a scrape, you can use it in the mouth. It's a little bit chlorine tasting, but excellent to, we give patients, we have a, a different brand called Olive Gold that we use in the mouth. And oh. then we have that, we put a little squirt of that. And that looks like olive oil. The, the ozonated olive oil, the longevity one we're talking about, looks more like Vaseline. But the, this what's other brand. The, we, what's the, the one you put in the mouth? Is that, so it's is called, that switched? It's, no, it's, it looks just like olive oil. So it's a more of a liquid consistency versus the Vaseline. And that we have, I have people just put it right on their toothbrush and you brush with that. Because the way I've evolved in thinking is 
I don't want to kill things in the mouth, right? I, because then you're not really addressing why they became pathogenic in the first place. What I want to do is I want to create a really healthy environment so that the bad bugs never proliferate in the first place. So by, and the olive gold is loaded with vitamins and minerals. So when you add that into your, sometimes people, they don't want to change toothpaste. I'm like, fine, just put it on top of your toothpaste then and brush with that. Put a little on your palm and rub your floss through it and then floss in between the teeth with the ozone because you're putting the minerals there and you're putting um, in the good healthy fats, right? And the oxygen. So all of that is really beneficial for the good bacteria um, and keeps the gums super, super healthy. And again, with, with no side effects. So if you can tolerate a little bit of the chlorine taste, that's a really effective way to keep in the mouth. I like that one. Yeah. Awesome. Why don't you said now you're kind of been especially a lot in the, the mast cell. That's a really tricky one. And a lot of people really struggle with that. So I know this isn't specifically mouth related, but I've had a couple, a lot of patients who've had this and they really can't tolerate dental procedures well. But I mean, even though I'm as biologic as I can be, dentistry is still toxic. I mean, we're still using resins and it's because that's all we have at this time. So, right. so, that, so how can, what is it by the way? And, and what are, how do you try to treat that? Well, okay. Well, first of all, this is something that I think every physician needs to kind of hone up on because it is something that is what we're seeing in the U.S. is is getting a lot worse. And what it is, is it's actually something that's kind of a newer diagnosis, mast cell activation syndrome. There's something called mastocytosis, which is totally different. That's actually where your Bone marrow creates too many mast cells and mast cells in the body are the cells that they, I I always liken them to Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi and the Blues Brothers. Those are your mast cells in your body. They are not going to let anybody uncool come into your club. And that's exactly what they do. And they are not every single tissue of the body. Because if you think about it, right, if you cut yourself, you don't want to even wait two seconds for the bloodstream to be like, oh, okay, let's get this stuff over there. You need it in the tissues and you need the mast cells to basically they have a bunch of granules, they explode that help with fighting things off right away. The other thing that they explode with is histamine. And this is really essentially what people are getting in terms of symptoms when they have mast cells that are what we would call sort of hyperactive. And so, so that's, that's why it's kind of difficult to diagnose too, because there's really no blood tests that are, that are really super accurate for mast cell activation because of the fact that they're not just floating around in the bloodstream. They're floating around in the bloodstream when you're having a major histamine attack, but most people are not going to be going to get their blood drawn at that moment in time. And then the other thing is that, is that with mast cell activation, because it's in all the tissues, it looks kind of different for every person. For some people, it might be gastrointestinal pain. For some people, it might be chronic headaches. For some people, it might be in like inflamed joints or musculoskeletal pain. So yeah, again, it's kind of like can look different in everybody. But what we think is happening really, again, looking at root cause and, and why we think this is becoming so much more ubiquitous in our population is because we are just facing that many more toxins in our environment and infections from having lowered immune systems and just collecting more infections. <laughs> and also that's, there's a lot of, a lot of people that are talking about that too, that we just, we have more 
especially with global warming, we're, we're getting more infections. Like just this last year, there's been cases of malaria in Texas and Florida. I'm like, okay. My father well, was just diagnosed with malaria. We, we, oh my God. Yeah. We were wow. in, he had Babesian malaria. We had been in Destin, the panhandle of Florida, kind of near those areas. And I mean, yeah. how random is that? Yeah. And this is not something that they've ever had there. So, so we do know that the, the environment is changing. Our food is more toxic. Our water is more toxic. And, and so what I would say is what's happening is a healthy response to an incredibly unhealthy environment that we're in. And, and I, I'm only, I, we're only going to be seeing more of it. And so, yeah, it's unfortunate, but we do have some good medications and herbs that we can give patients. But mostly we're doing, trying to do a lot of detoxification and get, just get the toxins out and treat the infections so that they don't keep having those reactions. Um, but you have to really use the medications to kind of stabilize the mast cells before you can do anything. Cause like you noticed, like even the stuff that's good for people, they can't do because their body is so highly reactive. So, yeah. So Again, note how with these chronic illnesses, we are not treating the symptoms. If you want to get resolution, you've got to get it. As I say over and over, probably every podcast, the toxins and infections, which are causing all of these these problems. So that's that's where we well, need to look. And we see too where we're kind of, because a lot of allergists will see these patients and they'll put them on the, the stabilizing medications, but then they're not treating the root cause. So then the patients who have been on these stabilizing medications where you're not treating the root cause will now be wandering into my office and saying, now I'm breaking through and I'm having all the same symptoms, but I'm like, I've increased the doses significantly and I'm reacting to more things. So, yeah. Great. Um, how about long COVID? That's a big, big thing. I've kind of thought of it as more like an autoimmune condition, right? Because of the toxin and the infection overload in a person who already has a diminished or out of balance immune system. To yeah. me, that's kind of what long COVID has had, but I'm not a physician. So tell us your thoughts. Well, all of us who were in the mast cell world were like, oh, this is mast cell activation syndrome. I mean, it's, it is, and it's, and also dysautonomia and oftentimes mast cell activation and uh, dysautonomia or more specifically POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And that's where your, your nervous system and your cardiovascular system cannot regulate. So like a really, like one of the things that most people will say is, oh, I bend over to pick something up. And I, if I stand up quickly, I feel like I'm going to pass out. And that's because you're asking your body to increase the blood pressure really quickly to bring it up to your head. And, and if your cardiovascular system's working really well, you should be able to do it like that and not have any symptoms. But if you're blood your your cardiovascular system is like puttering along and there and there's a lot of inflammation it's like oh god okay and so then you'll start having symptoms from just not being able to regulate that very well so really it's both of those and that's actually how so i'm kind of treating it i'm treating it with mast cell stabilizers i'm treating it with things that i would normally treat pots patients with like we're doing electrolytes rehydrating salt and we're also doing oftentimes, I'm, and this is actually like, you'll get this from a regular Western medical doctor too, like propranolol beta blockers uh, work really well to help people sleep because that's the problem is you lay down at night and you're like, one of my favorite quotes from this patient I saw is he said, 
who had long COVID, he said, I feel like my heart has been replaced by that of a small, scared animal. Like, like, I'm imagining that you feel a little like a squirrel who's running away right now. So, so really that kind of helps with, with just blocking some of the heart receptors so that the heart can stay calm so that patients can sleep because you also can't heal if you can't sleep, right? That's not, that's such an important part of the process. And, and then, and then I do antivirals, antiviral therapy. And so that's kind of been how a lot of us have been treating it. There's, there's other things that are coming out now. Dr. Patterson is the MD. I think he's in California. Who came, he started some of the early long COVID clinics and he is came up with this whole cytokine panel that they just started looking at people's, you know, cytokines and their immune components and trying to figure, figure it out and compare it with, which is great, which is amazing. I'm sure that his contribution to our understanding of the immune system is really just beginning for us to, because we're always like, oh, TNF alpha and interleukin six and but what does that mean? We don't always, we don't really know a lot about how these things interact with everything in the system, including all of our neurotransmitters and our hormones and like all of them. So, so I just noticed that Igenix, which is the big lab that is, that does a lot of the Lyme testing in this country is, is going to bring his panel in to do the cytokines and he's starting to do some trainings. And I, I love that because I know it, it'll just help us learn and understand so much more about this spike protein and, and more ways to, to treat it. So, And I would love to know how many of these long COVID patients have root canals or cavitations or underlying infections and inflammation in the mouth. Because again, I mean, it's I'm, I'm working with a new system. It's a screening tool called Silha, and it, it detects seven different uh, markers in the saliva. And even cool. in somebody who is seemingly has no gum disease, there's no bleeding, there's no bone loss, you'll still see elevated protein or white blood cells. And to me, I'm like, Oof, something's going on in the gut. And when the gut is out of bounds, which all of us have some degree of leaky gut just because of the world we live in today. But when that, the gut, like you were saying at the beginning, it's all connected. It's one tube. It's the same tissue. It's one cell layer thick, right? So when the gut, and this is the thing you were talking about, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, is the gut or is it the mouth? And I, I think it's a two-way street, right? They can, they both interact with each other. So you could have a healthy mouth, but if your gut's inflamed, and I, I did the test myself and I found this, I have a healthy mouth, but my gut, I'm always working my gut between stress and eating the right foods and all that good stuff. I had some inflamed gut and it showed in my mouth as inflammation, right? So I was like, ooh. So it made me even change my oral regimen a little bit more to be a little bit more with more oxygen, more of that olive oil. So so again, but somebody with overt gum disease or root canals, that may be part of the long COVID. Another, not the cause, I would say, but another yeah. burden on the immune yeah. system. And that's how I talk to my patients. Do I think all root canals need to be pulled out? Not necessarily. But if you're somebody who has my, my one long COVID patient had 12 root canals. Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'm wow. like, and he needed another one. I said, I don't recommend that. But if you are healthy as a horse, you have no issues. Do you need to get every root canal pulled out of your No. But if you're somebody who has these autoimmune or chronic inflammation and all sorts of issues, then yes, I do think it could be contributing. And since the mouth is so accessible, that's a great place to start. It's easy. Right. You can see the results. Whereas trying to heal leaky gut, I mean, that's a lot more challenging, right? 
than taking out a tooth. I mean, we all don't, nobody wants to lose a tooth, but hey, if it's going to save the rest of you, we have ways to replace them. So, well, I, I remember um, reading with fascination, like early on, I think it was like in May, there was an article in May of 2020, there was an article about uh, like in New York Times or something that like all these dentists are starting to see people coming in like way more frequently with teeth falling out of their mouth, like once COVID started. And how I see what's happening is that I, I always think about uh, my neurology class and I had this great professor and what he talked about is what we know about the brain is the brain can only hang on to so many things at one time. We think that we're amazing multitaskers, but we aren't. And I think the studies that they've done show that after about six things, we start to fail at doing some of the tasks well. And I think that's really the whole immune system. I think the immune system can only hold on to so many things at one time. And so what I was reading, what was happening is, oh, suddenly there's this new illness that the immune system is like, whoa, what is this thing? And it was probably keeping at bay those infections in those people's mouths. And then it was like, oh my God, I got to get all my friends over here because there's this new thing going on. So it ran over to the to the spike proteins. And then and then suddenly now it's not it wasn't able to hold the dam back anymore. And and hundred percent. Yeah. I totally agree. Because that's what I see in the 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 most thing I haven't necessarily seen teeth falling out, but what I see is an enormous amount of really fast decay right at the gum line. Right? Oh yeah. Whereas like within months, the tooth is, I mean, is almost to the point where yeah, it might have to be taken out because it decays yeah. down so bad. And so that is an area in the mouth and the tooth, right? Where it's a little less mineralized. So when your body is super toxic with whatever this new thing is, you toxicity creates deficiency, right? So we, we need minerals when we get toxic, we get acidic, right? And it's the minerals that really help balance and neutralize that, that pH. Where are our minerals stored? Our teeth and our bones, right? Yeah. So they yeah. literally are getting pulled out of our teeth and bones in order to save our internal organs. We're going to sacrifice the teeth to save that. So that, that's what I think too, right? We just, you're right. Like all these things are kind of at bay and then you get the next thing. I absolutely believe it's like with that analogy of the bucket being full, right? Mm-hmm. People feel like I all of a sudden got sick. Well, no, it was probably yeah. 10, 20 years. Wait, we don't all... No, we don't all of a sudden get cancer. That's like a 20 year process, right? But it's that point where, you know, that last little thing just puts us over the edge or people say all the time, oh, it was that root canal. After that root canal, I got X, Y, and Z. After I had my baby, right? This is a common one. A lot of women get autoimmune conditions after the baby because man, that just sucks the life out of us, literally, right? So yeah, it's it's always that balance, right? And I think that's the key to health, right? We talk about homeostasis is balance, right? Because we can never avoid all of the toxin. But how right. can we how can we manage them? How can we support the bodily functions that need to help us with that in order to because we're not supposed to be sterile, right? We're supposed to have bacteria and fungus. Like that's all a natural part. So we have to get away from that whole idea of we better kill all the bad stuff what we call bad. No, we need to balance because we all have like the bad periodontal bugs in our body at all times. But it's again, when that environment changes where it becomes problematic. So we need to kind of rethink that. I think, yeah, I think the germ theory and the the came out at the exact same time as the theory of the environment with Henry Lynn Lahr and some of the early kind of natural doctors 
And the germ, basically medicine threw away all the other theories. It was like, it's all germs. And it's like, no, (laughs) (laughs) maybe we focused on that for a while, but it's the germs, it's us, and it's our environment. And we have to figure out what the balance of that is. So we really are I, I, I think about a lot of medicine now is it's fascinating to me because a lot of the stuff that we dumped in the trash in the late 1800s, early 1900s, because suddenly the surgery and antibiotics were invented. Now we're coming back to and now some of the like ozone's been around since the late 1800s. And we're suddenly realizing, oh, we actually need to have more options because we're running out of options, especially in terms of antibiotics. And, and so I think it's kind of cool. So a lot of this stuff is like already been around and, and thoughts on, on how our bodies are working has been around. It's just been, it's just been put in the garbage. So now we got to take it out, clean it off and start coming from a new perspective from all of this. I think that's and especially for the teeth and the body connected. <laughs> right. It's, uh, but it's an important point that you say. Some people say, oh, you do ozone, you're doing you know, prolotherapy, prolozone, like, and they think there are these brand new woo-woo crazy things and people are afraid. But ozone, like you said, it's been around since 1800. You just said neural therapy was first, the first paper written about it, so it was even before that, is in the early 1900s. So, and these things have an incredible safety right now in this country where they're trying to, FDA is trying to regulate all our homeopathic medications, which there's not a single episode of somebody being harmed by a homeopathic, whereas over 100,000 people a year die from Tylenol, right? But people are more hesitant to take a little sugar pill of a homeopathic than they would Tylenol. But that's, that's the reality. So that's what's scary that that we have these governmental forces that are, that is why these things got kind of got poo-pooed, right? They're not making as, as much money, but these are the things that are beneficial. The homeopathy, the ozone, all these natural therapies that have hundred years of evidence behind them versus all these pharmaceuticals that come up that have what a three year they're supposed to have an FDA trial of at least three years, right? Three years compared to a hundred for these natural ones. So part of the reason I want to do this podcast, right, is to create this awareness that there are the there are options, there are alternatives that are proven and effective, but we just need to create that awareness, right? We need to show people and have people know that and there are those of us like you and me who are employing some of these practices and, and we do get do get good results. So as we're wrapping up here, is there anything else that you would like to talk about? Well, if I can just plug my our classes, I, I know you're uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure that you probably have other doctors listening as well as patients. But my teaching partner and I are putting on classes in neural therapy. And we're trying to do them a couple of times a year to get more doctors interested and get trained, well-trained in safe, effective pain-killing, lymphatic-moving methods of, to add into their practices. So, in, and I have a, the website for that is learnneuraltherapy.com. Really simple. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I think that's it. So thank you well, for having me. Thank you so much for taking your time on your Friday to come and talk with all of us. And uh, I look forward to talk to you real soon. And thanks, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode.